0: where are we by we're just heading south of uh beaumont or north of beaumont we're heading north of beaumont yo where are we going no this is a are you fucking kidding me you better not take me anywhere i don't want to go i want to go into the city Yo, we're not going in the city, are we? Uh, we're going. No, we're not. So, yes. where the fuck are these roads going to? It's 50th Street. 50th Street, are you sure? Absolutely. Yo, where are we going? 50th Street. 50th Street? 50th Street. East, right? East. You took over,
1: Recently, an independent researcher by the name of Mary Ann Pierce documented over 4,000 cases of missing and murdered women and girls in Canada. Of those over 4,000 cases, nearly 25% are Aboriginal women. And that's quite shocking considering only 2% of the population in Canada are Aboriginal women. While some of the cases date back to the 50s, the majority took place right here in recent times between 1990 and 2013. Pierce says, quote, This is part of a larger phenomenon of violence against women, period, Pierce said. It's such a complicated issue. We have to look at every layer with a special focus on systemic racism. There isn't one answer. There isn't one person or group who can address this. It has to be everybody the First Nations governments, the provincial governments, the police forces, and the national government. And the Canadian public has a responsibility too. End quote. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. On August 18th, 2018, Amber Tuckerow, her 14-month-old son, and a female friend left their hometown of Fort McMurray and flew to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. The girls were looking to have a fun weekend in the city. Now, due to ongoing investigation, this friend's name has not been made public yet. So when they landed in Edmonton, it was already late in the evening. The girls rented a room at Nisku Palace Hotel, which was a cheap hotel just outside of Edmonton. They did this as a way to save money, and they planned to go into town together the next day. However, Amber asked her friend to look after young Jacob, her son, while she reportedly hitchhiked into town to get some food for them. She got into a vehicle with an unknown man, and that was the last time Amber was seen alive. The next day, when Amber had not returned, her friend became concerned and called Amber's mother. Amber Tuckero was the only daughter of Vivian Tutsi Tuckero, and she had four brothers. She is of the Miccoso Cree, First Nation people of Fort Chippewan. Tutsi Tuckero immediately contacted the RCMP, which is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I'll refer to them as RACMP for the rest of the episode. But unfortunately, like in a lot of cases, Amber's disappearance was downplayed. Reportedly, Amber had gone missing once before, which made the officers hesitant. Amber's mother was told, quote, Amber lives a risky lifestyle. She will probably be back soon, unquote. Now, I could not find why or when she went missing, but it was in multiple reports that this is why her initial contact was not taken seriously. But Miss Tuckerow insisted her daughter would not leave her son with someone she barely knew and go out partying. Apparently, the girl with Amber was someone she had just recently met and had asked her to go on the trip to Edmonton just a day before the flight. So Tootsie Tuckerow was told she would have to wait 24 hours to file a missing persons report. And eventually Amber's name was put into the missing persons database, but just eight short days later, on August 28th, Constable Brad Galinsky recommended the case be closed. Allegedly, a witness had told police they had seen Amber, and another reported her online social media seemed to be active. However, these leads were not properly followed up on, and Amber's name was removed from the National Missing Persons database prematurely. And for the next month, no one looked for Amber. The RCMP later issued an apology for having closed the case prematurely. The case was reopened, and... Tutsi Tuckero was there as well to uh, give her opinion on the RCMP apology and express her discontent with the way the investigation has been handled so far.
2: At the beginning of this investigation, the RCMP was not the police service we strive to be. On behalf of the RCMP, I am truly sorry. I fully acknowledge... That in the early days of our investigation into Amber's disappearance that it required a better sense of urgency and care. We agree with the Civilian Review and Complaints Commission that in 2010 our Leduc detachment's initial missing person investigation was not our best work.
1: At this point the RCMP representatives have given the mic over to Amber's mother and she expresses just how she feels about this apology and even acknowledges the way that they get up from the meeting and leave the room.
3: An apology needs to be heartfelt, not just words, you know what I mean? See, look again, they just proved the game. They're just getting up and leaving the next appointment, right? I mean, they're the ones apologizing, but yet they can get up and walk away. What does that say? Like right now, I'm very, very angry. Um, it's always after the fact, you know. The apology was done because they had to. Um, I don't know. It's. I'm hoping, and, and like I said earlier, that they are working on Amber's case. Not only Amber's, like for all the other missing and murdered boys and girls. and, and but do we really know? And I've had mothers, where I've talked to mothers, where it's always the same thing. You report your daughter missing. Oh, she's out partying. She'll come back. Like, that needs to stop. That is not right, you know? And <laughs> I mean, they are someone's child, someone's mother.
1: Amber's name was eventually added back to the missing persons database, but only after her family and other officers insisted. Then another mishandling of her case happened, when just three months after her disappearance, all of her remaining belongings were destroyed by the police. Miss Tuckerow did everything she could in the search for her daughter. She raised awareness with local grassroots movements and other nonprofit organizations Amber's family has cited the fact that she is an indigenous woman as a reason that the police did not handle her case properly. There is a bad history between the indigenous people of the area and the way police handle their cases, more specifically with women, like I mentioned in the beginning. For two years, nothing came of Amber's case. It was as if she just vanished. And then the phone call comes up. The phone call that you heard in the beginning Now here's a little more insight from RCMP and you will also hear that eerie phone call one more time.
4: I'm RCMP Constable Ray Shelton. I'm an investigator with CARE, which is mandated with investigating unsolved homicides and vulnerable missing persons. Right now, we're asking for the public's assistance, your assistance, in solving one such investigation. This is the missing persons case of Amber Tuckerell, a 21-year-old female who went missing in August of 2010. On August 17, 2010, Amber flew from Fort McMurray to Edmonton with her female friend and Amber's 14-month-old son. After arriving at Edmonton International Airport, the three booked into a motel room here in Nisku and spent the night. In the early evening of August 18, 2010, Amber left the hotel room to find a ride into the city of Edmonton. We know that between 7.30 and 8 o'clock p.m., Amber got into a vehicle with an unknown male. While in that vehicle, Amber received a phone call and through investigative means, we have obtained a recording of that phone call. That recording includes the voice of the unknown male driver of the vehicle. To date, that individual is unidentified. We're asking the public's assistance to listen to the tape in hopes that someone recognizes the male voice of the driver and phones investigators with that information. This audio clip may be disturbing to some listeners but it's important that the public listens to the voice and helps investigators identify the driver of that vehicle. In the following audio recording, you will hear two voices, that of Amber Tuckerell and the unknown male driver of the vehicle.
0: Where are we by? We're just heading south of uh, Beaumont, or north of Beaumont. We're heading north of Beaumont. Yo, where are we going? No, this is... Are you fucking kidding me? You better not take. You better not take me anywhere. I don't want to go. I want to go into the city. Yo, we're not going into the city, are we? No, we're not. Yes. And where the are these roads going to? Fiftieth Street. Fiftieth Street. Are you sure? Absolutely. Yo, where are we going? Fiftieth Street.
4: Street. We believe that rather than driving into the city of Edmonton, the male drove south and east of Niskew into rural Leduc County. And subsequent to this phone conversation ending, no one has seen or heard from Amber. We believe the male driver of this vehicle has information that may assist police in finding Amber.
1: Oh, you think that guy might know something, huh? (laughs) Good thought. So police released just 60 seconds of a phone call that was apparently the last call Amber made on the day she disappeared. Now, why they waited two years to release this was never made clear, but the full phone call lasted 17 minutes. The call was placed to Amber's brother who was being held at the Edmonton Remand Center and thankfully they had started recording all calls at the beginning of 2010. This is the only clue in Amber's disappearance and is the first time the RCMP has ever released audio during a homicide investigation. So a lot of people speculate, you know, why, why are they only releasing 60 seconds of a 17 minute phone call? And I don't really find that to be that surprising. Um, Well, first off, police do this all the time. But also, that may be the only part of the phone call where the man was speaking. The rest of the phone call, Amber was talking to her brother. So maybe they were getting caught up, just having small talk, personal things, whatever. It might not be um, beneficial to the case. But it seems like at this point in the conversation... She was getting aggravated with the driver, and even though she was on the phone, she was still realizing that things were not going right. So it's not as surprising to me that they would only release that small segment. There's a good chance that's probably the only useful segment of the phone call. So, the audio was made public in late August of 2012, and just four days later, on September 1st, horseback riders found human remains while out riding on rural property. The spot where Amber's remains were found was just a 17-minute car ride from where Amber was staying. Isn't that strange? 17-minute car ride, the phone call was 17 minutes. Did that not strike anyone else as odd? Police believe the man on the phone call picked up Amber and started driving southeast, away from Edmonton, and he killed her there. When Amber's remains were found... There was very little left to identify, and she was identified through only dental records. Amber's family filed a complaint against the RCMP for their numerous failures and shortcomings in Amber's case. And in 2018, an independent federal review was concluded into the Leduc RCMP and found the officers guilty of not receiving or following proper procedures and guidelines, which were put into place for handling missing persons cases in the first place improperly handling witness interviews and contact info, releasing inaccurate information to the public, and the removal, removal of Amber's name from the national database. These were just a few of the findings the review spotlighted as, quote, deficient. The Tuckeros have also filed paperwork to have Amber's remains exhumed and retested for their lack of trust in the RCMP, and they believe that the remains may not be Amber's. One good reason they have doubt is because in 2015, four other sets of remains were found within an 8-kilometer radius of where Amber was. Edna Bernard. She was last seen September 22, 2002. Her remains found the next day. Katie Sylvia Ballantine, Last seen April 28, 2003. Remains found July 7, 2003. Dolores Brower. Last seen May 15, 2004. Remains found April 19th, 2015. Corey Ottenbright, last seen May 9th, 2004. Remains found April 19th, 2015. So these these last two women went missing within six days of each other, and the remains were found on the exact same days in the same areas. All of the other women were sex workers and also indigenous women. Some people speculate there is a killer... Who targets indigenous women working in the area. There are also a few other suspects in the case of the many missing women, including Amber. One such became apparent when a man on Facebook accused his father of being not only Amber's killer, but possibly a very prolific killer who was active since the mid-70s. Here's a part of that post that has since been removed. Now, this post was written by a man named Dustin McKisson. Like I said, it has since been removed, but if you search a little bit on Reddit and also check my resources down at the bottom of the episode, you may be able to find it. But it says, quote, due to some of my social media activity, it is time for our family to come forward with something that may soon become public news. To begin with, this is not a joke, a plea for attention, or frankly, a plot for my next book. This is very much a real thing. In 2006, during his meth addiction, my father, David McKisson, told Megan, told Megan, I guess Megan is a sister of his, about a sister that was born before Cody and I. The search for that sister has been on and off of pursuit for the past 13 years, ultimately leading to more dead ends and questions. This pursuit ultimately led me to uncover an extensive amount of troubling information related to my father. It is a very long story and not one appropriate for Facebook, but we have submitted a list of disappearances we suspect my father's involvement in to federal authorities in Canada. We have also obtained tangible evidence linking my father to this list. A few days ago, we discovered a recording of a partial phone call made during the abduction of a young mother from the Edmonton area in 2010. That woman's name was Amber Tuckerow. Her voice can be heard in that phone call along with the voice of my father. My father has been staying on a rural ranch in the greater Edmonton area on and off since 2009. He is an American citizen with no legal standing in Canada. Further, we suspect him for other disappearances in Arizona, Utah, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, dating all the way back to the 1970s. Me, Megan, Cody, Alicia, our children, and multiple family and friends have all identified the voice as my father. It is particularly clear in the portion where he says 50th Street. I'm posting this for a reason. Too many family members to count have turned away from us encouraging us not to air the family's, quote, dirty laundry, and that makes me sick. A dead young mother is no one's idea of, quote, dirty laundry. Young men who look startlingly like my son are not dirty laundry. Human beings are not bloody rags. I post this because, absent any support from our extended families, I have turned to the relatives of victims and amateur social media detectives to help catch this man, a man who I believe is a prolific killer targeting both genders over an extended period of time. My father is bisexual with a history of violent meth and other drug-fueled relationships with both sexes. If you know any information about my father, whether you are a stranger, a friend or family member, please help. There are real lives at stake And real justice needs to be served. End quote. Now the post goes on, but I think you get the idea. And if you're curious to read the entire post yourself, check the very last link on the sources at the bottom of the episode description. Now there is another blog that points to a local man who is a convicted sex offender known for luring women to his property with false hopes of a job on his ranch. But not only women, it almost... It seems as though he's just looking for young people in general. So it almost kind of matches up with the Facebook post. So hopefully you guys got time here. But this blog post is worth reading. And lucky for you, I'll read it to you. It goes like this. It says, Pat Carson on Reddit. Let's not meet. Quote, I got married when I was 19 and my husband and I had no clue what to do with our new life together. We dropped out of college, and our studio apartment was too expensive. We thought it was the ideal time to travel and have adventures before settling down. We came across a post on the internet from a man who was looking for workers on his horse ranch. He would provide all meals and lodging in exchange for labor around the ranch. It looked like just the solution for us. He claimed to be very knowledgeable in trades, And would teach us to build machinery, woodworking, welding. We actually did learn to weld, which is pretty cool. And etc. Now the pictures were beautiful. The log cabin he built was spacious. And we would have a nice big bedroom. There were lots of other people in the photos. And in our correspondence with him, he always mentioned other people and referred to himself as we. He advertises on multiple platforms and everything looked really legit. So we booked our flight. There was nobody else there. He was in his 60s, but mentally and physically very fit. One of the first things he said to us was, quote, I never judge people based on their past. Do you believe people can change? I sure do. End quote. Seemed harmless enough. He took us grocery shopping and told us to pick whatever we wanted. We immediately got the vibe that his kindness was forced and yet he was being over-generous. I'm going to get right into the listing the weird stuff we noticed. He built the house himself, and his bedroom had a door to the only upstairs bathroom, which didn't lock from the inside. He would invite us into his room, and on his table was an old video camera with about 30 little tapes strewn about. He would always talk about how much he loved the Japanese, and how he specifically marketed toward them. And he had a few Japanese ladies stay in the past. He often brought up people who had stayed with him before, and all of them had left suddenly and maybe unexpectedly. So one day he told us to get in the truck, because we were going to the city. We were way out in the country, so it was a long ride. But he was really excited about going. He asked us to walk around and ask young people to come with us and work on the ranch. This made us super uncomfortable. We were introverts, and it just felt very odd to approach people and ask them to get in the truck. He got upset by our disapproval, so we got out and pretended to look for people to talk to. He went to talk to people on his own. As the days went on, his welcoming nature began to give way to a very temperamental and aggressive one. It did not I didn't really find him creepy, but intolerable. I didn't like him at all. It seemed extremely socially, he seemed extremely socially inept and said inappropriate things. It was also extremely apparent that he did not view women as equal or anywhere near equal to men. He had military training and was a big, strong man and cunning, always thinking. Now, our parents never wanted us to go. They realized it to be a potentially dangerous situation but we thought we had done our due diligence. However, we never even thought to Google this guy's name. I get an email from my mom one day, freaking out and telling me to do a Google search, then get on the next plane home. A quick search showed his arrest record, strangling and sexually assaulting a young woman, followed by headlines reading, quote, do not go to this horse ranch. Quote, this man is dangerous. We were thoroughly creeped out and booked a flight home. We were then presented with a dilemma of how to tell a potentially dangerous man that we wanted to leave. I forgot to mention that he would tell us daily about how he could live there permanently and start a family. He would fantasize about Christmases with our future children and raising them on the ranch. We thought it was established that this was a very temporary thing, and we had families back home who missed us. This is the weirdest part for me. I made up a lie About an emergency back home, and when I told him, it was like he could see right through me. I'm convinced that he not only knew I was lying, but he knew I was going to lie about needing to leave before I even opened my mouth. This look came over him that I've never seen on a person before. He was angry, but hiding it. He was hiding so many thoughts and emotions that I couldn't tell if I should be frightened or relieved. Before I finished my sentence, he said, quote, when do you need to go to the airport? In complete monotone. I told him right now. He took us and he put on his friendliest personality and told us that if we ever wanted to come back, he would buy our tickets. We said we'd be in touch. <laughs> Just recently, I Googled his name and discovered a page, a forum for people who had gone to his ranch mostly couples like us with eerily similar experiences. They spoke about how he says not to judge people on their past, the grocery store, they spoke about the bathroom, and how they heard him listening behind his door during their midnight bathroom trips, the videotapes, and how they watched them and saw young Japanese girls flexing their arms. He wrote that with a question mark. Looking through his search history and seeing nothing but Japanese pornography, They talk about how he would make rude remarks to the girlfriends and about creepy rituals in the woods, which he experienced. It was like a full moon ritual inside a circle drawn on the ground. They spoke about being driven to the city and asked to jump out when thin young ladies walked by and tell them to come back to the ranch. I could go on and on. He is still operational. This forum I found was aimed at gathering stories and preventing future visitors to the ranch. The police do not have enough evidence to convict him of anything. I know I left a lot of creepy deeds out. I didn't want this to be too long, and I'm not a great storyteller. I'm unsure whether it would be appropriate to name the man or the ranch, but the blog where all the others have written about their encounters is probably much creepier than my story. We've got away with much less weirdness, but I don't believe I was his, quote, type, and he may have feared my husband. If anyone is interested, I may be able to give a few hints so it can be found. End quote. There are tons of testimonies about these strange ranches around these areas of Edmonton. And there's a lot about the name Pat Carson that comes up. Now, there is, um, there is a possibility that this gentleman has been changing his name and going under different monikers. You'll find that quite often, too and it's kind of hard not to believe that it's the same person when you underline these things. Now, I know this person said a lot about the Japanese women and the the fetishes and things like that, but that could just be what he was telling them to kind of put them at ease and not think that they would be his victim or his type. I think that's exactly what a cunning person would do. And you know, along with all these blog posts and Reddit posts and things like that, hundreds of tips are received on just Amber's phone call alone from people who, who say that they are sure they know who was on the phone with Amber, yet no arrests have ever been made. Is there a serial killer of indigenous women lurking in Edmonton? Why has he never been caught with all the, quote, witnesses that have come forward? And it blows my mind, still to this day, Amber's case remains unsolved and is an open homicide case. Now, I chose to cover this case for a number of reasons. Number one, it just blows me away that this case is still unsolved with all of the clues with all of the things to go on um this it's starting even starting at the beginning with this quote unquote new friend that Amber meets, and then all of a sudden she feels comfortable enough to leave her son with her and and travel and take a trip with her uh be alone with her out someplace. that just seems odd to me um the phone call uh, how we how we have all these people coming forward positively identifying this voice, um, even family members of this man allegedly are coming forward uh, now I know it's just a Facebook post, but it is odd that the post has since been removed if it, if it's nothing of importance, then why is it why is it being removed and what, how is it so specific um, and also who would want to who would want to Muck up the their family name for no reason. You follow me? Even if you hate your father, even if you hate your mother, you have to feel pretty strongly about something to throw them under the bus in this way. I mean, even even the son in that Facebook post talked about how other family members uh, are bashing him for for airing the family's quote unquote dirty laundry. It's like this is not dirty laundry. People are losing their life because. You have a, a, a twisted person in your family that, that you are not taking responsibility for. And that's just, it just seems so odd to me. It's just too many things line up between uh, the story about the ranch and the story about the father, and it's just too many things line up. It's just odd. It, and it's easy for people to go by different aliases and things like that and to, to fake almost anything. On the internet, we've seen people fake full events on the internet and get paid for them. Sell tickets to things that aren't happening. That shit happens every day, and I just don't understand with the technology that we have, why is this why is this case still going unsolved? It, it just really it really bugs me, and I believe this is another case that needs to be out there. If you haven't noticed with this podcast, I like to focus on these cases, cases that seem that they're open, unsolved, um, but seem to be forgotten. Uh, even though there seems to be an abundance of evidence there, an abundance of leads, uh, it's just, I know, I know there needs to be tangible evidence. I know there needs to be hard, hard evidence. I get that. And this gentleman, if he has been working since the 70s, um, he's no idiot. He apparently knows what he's doing, right? If they have nothing to go by, he he apparently knows what he's doing or maybe they're just not searching the property well enough or they don't have what they think is a good enough reason when i say they i mean the rcmp a good enough reason to to search this guy and and dig deeper um so yeah that's my thought on this case um i i i don't know i tend to lean towards the the facebook post explanation i believe this gentleman would know what his father sounds like as well as his brothers and sisters um they all they all identify this as their father like i said it it you have to be you have to be really convicted of something to turn in your father i believe or your or your mother or brother or sister or a family member in general someone you share a name with to throw that out there i just don't know why you would want to murk up those waters for no reason they must they must have some sort of conviction some sort of guilt on their hearts um, and now that they've come forth in my opinion, they've done their part right, they've, they've told local police forces about this they've posted on the internet um, it's out there they're being truthful now, whatever the authorities want to do with them, this information that's up to them, right the ball is in their part now so alright guys, well so that's my thoughts on it, so now let's get another opinion In this week's Lauren Synopsis. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren's synopsis, breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren's synopsis, breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for one Synopsis, breaking down the case like, breaking down the case like cardboard boxes.
2: What's up, people? Lauren here, here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained, the murder of Amber Takaro, a 21-year-old indigenous woman living in Alberta, Canada, back in 2010, uh, who took a weekend trip with her good friend and her 14-month-old son to Edmonton, Uh Unfortunately, this would be the last trip she would ever make. They had gotten there, and on the day of their arrival, they had settled in uh, outside of town of Alberta to try and save some money. They didn't have a whole lot of money to spend for that weekend, and she decided um, to leave her good friend and her son, her son with her good friend who she trusted, and she was going to head to Edmonton early. She didn't want to wait until the morning for whatever reason. I found that a little strange. I don't know what the deal was with that. However, she made a bad decision in in leaving and hitchhiking, which, as we know, usually not a good idea. Um, Now, thankfully, there's safer options like Uber and whatnot, but in 2010, wasn't quite around yet, um, and many of our cases have been done, um, and many of the serial killers we've covered and whatnot have been so successful because of hitchhikers being easy prey um, for someone who's out, looking for an opportunity like this. And unfortunately, I think that's exactly what happened is a potential serial killer picked her up that evening and we get the audio, the one minute audio, which is released two years after she was abducted and went missing. Um, You could say a lot about the uh, police in Canada and how they kind of brushed it off. Didn't take it seriously enough, basically told the family she probably just ran away. She'll, she's partying. She'll, she'll turn up, um, obviously didn't happen. And it took two years before they finally got their hands on audio from the prison where her brother had called her on that night that she had gotten into the truck or car with this, uh, stranger for this drive. And in a crazy coincidence, her brother called her while she was in the vehicle with this stranger And due to the nature of it being a call from prison, it was recorded. And that's the the one thing that the family can be thankful for is that they have this clue, which unfortunately is not paid off yet in that no one has been able to identify the voice. Although there's been many leads, many people have thought they know the voice and said, this is my dad, this is some guy that owns a ranch. Um, But these leads have been kind of ruled out by the police, unfortunately. Um, the one-minute audio is quite chilling. It's clear that this is the person who killed her, and to me, just by how calm he is, it seems to me as though he's done this before, and maybe he was out trolling looking for someone just like this. As we know, there's a long history with violence towards indigenous women in Canada. Unfortunately, there's you know the Highway of Tears, um, and there's also been um, many women found on the highway in Edmonton as well who are indigenous uh, it's, it's a really unfortunate thing. And I I don't know how much, um, the, the fact that she was an indigenous woman had to do with it. I don't know if this was, she was targeted for that reason, or if this was just a, um, sexual predator who just saw an opportunity, as I said. Um, that being said, I don't know that 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 was also a crazy coincidence that after the audio was released just four days later is when her body was found by people out riding horseback that was crazy um two it took two years and then all of a sudden boom within four days both the both the audio is released and then her body's found well the skeletal remains of her body um sadly i don't know i think the audio just needs this case needs to be spread around and uh Thanks to Michael for picking this case so that it can get out there to more ears and maybe someone will send in, you know, they'll recognize the audio. That's really the only hope at this point is that someone will recognize that audio and say, I know that voice, give the police a lead that they can follow up on and the the perpetrator will hopefully under pressure admit that he had done this and maybe even more. So that's, I mean, that's really all that can be said about this. Is that thankfully we do have the audio on a freak incident where the brother called from prison, and Amber was smart enough to record and, and show her distress and show what kind of person she had gotten in for, uh, gotten in a, in the vehicle with and gone for a ride with, and uh, yeah, that's it's it's never smart to get into a vehicle with a stranger unless they're you know they are working for Uber or something along that, and even then it's it can be sketchy at times. So, yeah, guys, that's my thoughts. I uh, hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time.
1: All right, thank you for that insight, Lauren. Very well said, as always. And, like he said, guys, if you have any information, if anybody recognizes the voice on that audio, if you have um, any other clues, anything that could help the RCMP, please don't hesitate to come forward with that information. So guys, that is the case of Amber Tuckero. And um, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, if nothing else, <clears throat> I'm happy to spread the awareness on this case. And if you could, spread the spread the news of this case. If not this podcast, I appreciate it very much. Um, there are a lot of ways to support this show. Uh, patreon.com slash S and U podcast and spelt out sandu podcast. Um, for just $3 a month, you guys can get bonus content as well as early releases of episodes every Thursday instead of Monday. Um, and if you can't afford a monthly donation on Patreon, no big deal. Another great way to help the show is to leave a review. You can leave a review on iTunes or stitcher or Podbean or wherever you listen. It is greatly appreciated. Um, At this time, I want to give a shout out to some recent reviewers and a huge thank you. Uh, Number one, Elduro left a five-star review, said True Guys. Thank you very much, Elduro. Also, Crime Creeper 1976 left fire emojis, said so good. Thank you very much. Uh, S. Latham, 5 stars said Love Your Energy. It's great to hear more of your creative side and get Lauren's input at the end. Keep up the good work. Must be a True Crime Guys listener. Guys, if you haven't, checked out my other podcast, True Crime Guys, please check it out. Um, Also, Jen Vevers. Jenna Vevers. Jenna Vevers. I like that name. Left a five-star review. Said, super interesting. So glad I came across this podcast. I binged all existing episodes and can't wait for more. Well, calm down now. Space them out, right? I can only do one a week. (laughs) As well as one of my uh, spare shows that I put on Patreon. So every Monday, you will receive, if you're a Patreon member, um, on Mondays, you will receive one of my sub-shows, I call them, Um, not that they're sub-quality, at least I hope they're not, Um, but I have one show called Strange Shorts, where it is cases that I found that may not have enough information for a a 30- to 40-minute podcast, so I just talk about them on Strange Shorts, and sometimes I'll compile a few interesting cases together. Uh, Sometimes they're a little lighter. Sometimes they involve animals. It it just depends. And I also have another show called The Palate Cleanser. The Palate Cleanser has one rule. No true crime stuff. So it is literally to cleanse your palate from all this negative true crime energy. um, Or, you know, it can sometimes be negative true crime energy. I try not to put out negative energy ever, even when talking about true crime. But it happens, right? It gets to all of us. So The Palate Cleanser is a great way to listen to something different, something refreshing. Um something something off the wall maybe and t- take your mind off of it so you can sleep better at night but guys i want to thank you for listening i want to thank you for downloading i thank you for telling your friends uh you can find us on social media at sandu podcast um that's on instagram twitter and strange and unexplained on facebook guys also check out our other show true crime guys where you can find true crime guys across anywhere truecrimeguys.com um will lead you everywhere you need to go all right guys so that's another one in the books i want to thank you guys for listening as always and i'll see you next week with another strange and unexplained case remember be strange just don't be a stranger